0: The feasts, okay. So, um, so here's what we're gonna do. I think you probably got the email. Did, did that go out today? I don't know if that. Is. So, um, here's what's gonna happen. The rainwaters, Michael, raise your hand. Um, are going to start this Tuesday night. They're gonna start a six weeks course on the feasts. They've done this before. This is not new to them. Um, they're not guessing or this is, you know, this is an uncharted territory. Um, I don't know if that's important to you, but when I hear somebody teach something, I don't want it to be the first time they're discovering everything too. So, uh, so they're starting that Tuesday night, at seven o'clock. Um, you need to sign up. You, you need to sign up for this because that's how you're going to get the Zoom link. That's how you're going to get the materials. You're going to have e- materials emailed to you. And uh, even if you say, well, I just want the materials. I don't want the I don't want, I'm not going to be able to do the, the Tuesday night thing, okay? You still need to sign up because that's how you get the materials. Um, and there's some books that he'll, he'll talk to you about when it starts, but he's not following a book per se. Uh, the, the, the book that we've been recommending to everybody is the book by Nadler. Um, I think it's called Jesus in the Feasts. Is that what it is? Um, it's a great book. There's, there's some great ones out there. That's a good one. And so that's what we're going to start Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Um, but you need to be to be part of the zoom, or you can watch it later too because we'll we 'll have it recorded while' we'll on, on the website but if you want to be part of it live where you 're asking questions and doing things you need to, you need to sign up okay any questions about that nothing no questions and it 'll be through uh michael 's uh, zoom account it won 't be through the church zoom account the The, the reason I say that is it won 't have my name on it the church zoom account anytime you go on to zoom. Like if you're doing a women's thing, it looks like I'm the one leading it because it's our zoom account but uh but it'll be michael so you you can't just use the church one if you've used it before so all right um a, a little bit just to make sure um these are some of the other questions that i that I've had after the weekend um good good questions overall I'm thinking this is, the people are thinking about this okay people are thinking um Again, I just briefly mentioned this at the end Sunday, but do I believe the rapture is taking place this uh, Rosh Hashanah? This is the way that I would look at this. Why would, you, why would you ever not be ready? I mean, love Jesus. Love Jesus. Now, I know maybe the reason you're asking is there's other things. Maybe I'm going to go out and buy a Lamborghini and, and leave it to Whoever. Here's a couple things with that. You better be careful because what if you don't make it? Now you're paying for a three hundred thousand dollars supercar. So I'm just saying. Plus, if you go out to buy that just to leave it, you might not make it for that. Okay. <laughs> um. So so here's the thing. I do again. I do believe strongly in a pre-tribulation rapture. So here's part of the deal with me, with all the stuff that's happening and in the, in the peace treaty that the Trump signed. I'm going to talk about that a little bit Sunday, so I won't go down it too much now. But um, the I think everything is bottlenecking quickly and things are moving quickly. And since I do strongly believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation, I, in fact, I actually believe there's two major things. One is where Scripture says that the rapture, that uh, church is what's holding back the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. And the church has to be gone for him to have full, full run. That's one of the major reasons I believe it's a pre-tribulation. I'm not, a, I'm not a miss the wrath kind of person. I've never been that. Some people say pre-trib people are, um, well, you just don't want to go through the difficult stuff. That has nothing to do with it for me. Um, I mean, yes, most people it is. You're just like, well, I don't want to go through the. But that's not really why I'm processing it. I do, I do want to miss that. But that's not, my, that's not my reasoning of why I believe it. Is what I'm saying. Um, I believe it because for everything to get to the place it's going to be, for the Antichrist to sign the peace treaty with Israel, I believe the church has to be taken first because we're stopping all the stuff that would force Israel's back against the wall in such a way the whole world's against them. The church is the only thing stopping that. You say, well, yeah, but our, it's because our government is pro-Israel or whatever. It is now, but only thing you have to do is look at the last president and see that if the church wasn't here, what do you think he would have done? He sent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in cash in an airplane to Iran. You can't get more anti-Semitic than that. That's that's the equivalent of of if in World War II we would have sent a cash load of money to Hitler. There's no difference. So, I I believe for the the, the rapture is going to happen before the lawlessness one the the antichrist can do what he wants to do. And here's the other thing, which this one is just kind of common sense. It doesn't explain this in scripture, but this one gets that just makes sense to me. Is for all of the stuff that has to happen for, the, for the, um, the tribulation to approach, not just the Antichrist being let loose kind of mentality, but I think the rapture is what puts the world into all the chaos and stuff that gets us to that place. That, that's, that's a big one too. There's going to be a lot of chaos worldwide for all these events to unfold that way. All right? Um, any questions about that before I go on? Any questions about the feast specifically? You understand the importance of why I talked about that and what Michael's going to explain. I do believe, with everything in me, I believe the rapture will take place during Rosh Hashanah. This year, next year, 10 years from now, but it will be during Rosh Hashanah. I bet everything I have on that. If, right, (laughs) right. If it happens a different time when we get to heaven, I'll be like, you got all my stuff. Yeah, I bet everything Linda has. Um, I really do believe that. I, I'm not joking about that. I believe strong, with everything in me that the Lord has shown us through Scripture that he's coming back during Rosh Hashanah. Pay attention. Pay attention to that. Okay. I'm either right or wrong. Can't be both. You know, I had another good question. I think this is important too. Um, Somebody asked me after service. They said, "I'm not pre-tribulation rapture." I don't believe it, and I've got reasons why or whatever. He said, "I don't," but he said, "I don't want to discuss that with you." He said, "I know what you believe, and I just believe differently." He said, "But everything else you're saying, I think's um, right on." He said, "But here's my question, and I've never heard this question before. This is solid." He said, "Does believing it differently?" And or being wrong, he said either you 're wrong or i 'm wrong we can 't both be right he said if if one of us is wrong, does that affect our salvation? Does that affect if we make us not at all not any that 's not a that 's not a salvation question that's a, I think the scripture says this question, and here 's the thing is there's there's and we talk about this when we do the journey at my house there 's a lot of wiggle room in the way we believe things very very few things that we stand on theologically. Are make or break heaven or hell subjects. They're just not. And if you've ever gone through the journey with me, you know what I'm talking about. We discuss that. Well, anytime we go over an issue theologically, we discuss is this a heaven or hell issue? Right? Like healing. Is, is healing a heaven or hell issue? No. What if you believe 100% God does not heal today under any circumstance? Can you still get to heaven? Of course you gonna miss a lot of cool stuff along the way, but you can get there. There's a lot of things like that. You say, "Well, I stand on this is so important." Okay, I'm not arguing that healing is extremely important to me. But if you say, "Well, I just don't believe it," okay. Even if you say, "I don't believe there is a rapture," which again, I it's to me it's like healing. I don't know how you can read Bible and think there's not a rapture. But let's say you just, I just do not believe in a rapture at all. I do not, I do not do. Okay. You can still, you may even be raptured. I, I, heard it, I heard this one time. I had a friend of mine, there was a, a church across town from us, and he brought a cassette tape to me. And apparently there's three or four um, similar things around that this happened, but he brought a cassette to me, so I want you to listen to this. It was a large Baptist church on the other side of town, and they had a uh, their pastor. He had been their pastor for years, and he had had throat cancer or something like that. and And he got to the point where he couldn't talk anymore. He had a surgery and all this other stuff, so he couldn't talk. And so they had he could like make hoarse sounds and stuff, not like, but you know, you know that kind of, nay, <laughs> but. So they rigged up, this guy rigged up this microphone that they strapped around his neck, and the microphone would sit right up in here. And if he, if he held onto the microphone and he talked and breathed just right, you could understand what he was saying. Okay? So he had stopped being the pastor of the church. It was a different pastor. But um, he stayed in the church, and he eventually taught... I did a bunch of teaching, and he had a big Sunday morning Sunday school class of quite a few hundred people that he taught every Sunday. And, um, and, this, and, the, and I, knew, I knew all that about this guy. Okay. So then this guy brings me a cassette, and he said, I want you to hear what happened last Sunday with Brother So-and-so. And I said, okay. And the guy starts teaching. And, he's, and he said, I want to explain to you today. He was, he's what's called a cessationist. Which means miracles ceased a long time ago. They don't happen anymore. Which is just not true. But that's what he believed. He was adamant about it. And so he was teaching about that. And and he exp starts off with now I'm going to explain to you. It's very difficult to understand, especially on a cassette. And um, and and he uh, he started explaining how miracles are not for today, and God doesn't heal today, and all this other kind of stuff. And he's explaining this whole thing. And this guy is watching me listen to the tape. I'm like. Okay, he was just wait. While he was teaching that God does not heal, (laughs) God began to heal him. And over a space of about ten to fifteen minutes, his voice went from barely understanding, raspy, and had been like that for quite a few years. To clearer and clearer, and as he's saying stuff, you can tell he's starting to get emotional because he's realizing that God is healing him, but he doesn't know what to do, so he keeps teaching about how God does not heal. Pretty soon, he is crying and talking better than when he wasn't crying about how God does not heal. Finally, he just stops and he says, I think God has healed me, and everybody starts clapping and all this kind of stuff. I, had this, I used to play that cassette all the time. Because here's the thing. God's going God's to gonna be God. He's going to do what he says. If, if you don't believe in a rapture, but you love him, you're going to be raptured. That's the reality of it. And in that split second that you're going to heaven, you're going to go, mm, I must have got this one wrong. But God's still true to his word. regardless of what we say, God's still true to his word. Okay. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to ask a couple questions, and we're going to unpack this scripturally. Um, How do you get control of who you are? How do you get get self-control? I talk about this a lot. Trying to see who's all here. Talk about this a lot in the um, journey. There's a specific point, and I went over this Sunday night, and I thought, we need to go over this as a church. Caleb was there, so Caleb, don't say nothing. All right. Jeff. How does he do that? How does it work? Explain that. Don't know? That's, not a, that's a true statement. But that's, a, that's not a good enough answer at all. That's a true statement, Jen. Okay. So, so Jeff says that God has given us spirit of self-control, and you're saying we're responsible for stuff. So we're responsible for letting go. For God be in charge. Okay, I'm not picking on you. You're you're right. I just because these are these are two different. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because what what Jeff is saying, what Jan is saying, are are true. Both of those are true, but they're but they're different. They're complete different theological camps. By the way, okay, one theological camp, and I'm taking what Jeff said to the extreme, but one theological camp is self-control is completely in God's hands. We have nothing to do with it. It's, uh, it's a spiritual thing God has done outside of us. Jan is saying we make the choice of whether we're going to let God be in control or not, which means we can make the choice to not let him be in control. Okay? I can choose to be in control. You scared me, Michael. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, so when I talk about the, there's four things, I, I don't do it on the weekend so much, but there's four basic things, and I've, I've done it a couple times. But in the journey I go over this, every time we get to the Holy Spirit, there's four empowerments that the Holy Spirit gives us. One of those empowerments is he teaches us to love. And I, and I say every time, this, that is the number one thing that the Holy Spirit has done with me over the years. And part of the same line is when Lynn and I got married, I had extreme anger issues. Extreme anger, anger issues, and I knew if I left this unchecked, I would, I would eventually abuse her somewhere along the way, okay? Um, so I really began to, to pray that the Holy Spirit be in charge of me because I didn't want that to happen. And one of us, Linda, has never been abused in our marriage, so <laughs> it's never okay? I could see me trying to, ex- I could see me trying to explain this to the cops. Well, she hit me, and she has, by the way. And he'd be like, "Looks like you deserved it, my friend." Okay. My question is, how do we um, get self-control? Yes, I agree with that. What, what, what Jan said exactly, but I, it's like daily. It's constant. Um, yes. Now, Jeff still said that, that God has given us a spirit of self-control. Did he get that from the Bible? Where'd you get it from, Jeff? <laughs> Allison? fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Okay, let's put a pause right there, and let me ask this question. How do you become a faithful person? Try and read the Bible. What did you say? Practice faithfulness. Sam? Okay. Okay. I like that. Yes, ma'am. Okay. our spirit has to be stronger than our flesh. Yes. Hmm. He, he's he's not very wrong. In fact, this is the direction I want to go with this. Now he just said a little bit ago that um, that he had anger issues, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. They go away instantly. Yes. Okay. I had anger issues. They didn't go away instantly, but the more I, what, what you guys over here have been saying, the more I submitted to the Holy Spirit, the more the anger went away. Okay? And, I, and it, 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 just like everybody, I think, is agreeing and saying here, you never get control completely because there's always you. As long as you are you, you're going to have problems with you. Okay? So, What I started out doing when I first began to analyze, okay, I've got anger issues, got to work on this, I began to, what I say, start on the wrong end of this, and I started trying to have self-control. I was going to get this anger under control. And the more I tried to get the anger under under control, the matter it made me. And, and it took me a long time to realize some of the things you guys are saying, but I want to I show us scripturally how it actually works, okay? The, the more I tried to do this, it became difficult because I was trying to do it. The more I submitted to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit do it, the more it began to work, the more I began to get control of my anger. Now, it can be, it can be anything for any of us in here, Okay? Now, Allison's hit on the key to this, and this is where we're going to go to. I've talked about this briefly before, but I haven't really dug in, and we're going to dig in a little bit, because I think this is so important right now. The, the reason that we are so messed up as a country is because we're starting, well, I don't even think we're trying anymore, but we used to, as the church, we would try to start in the middle of the fruits of the spirit and pick a fruit and work on that fruit. And that is not biblical. That doesn't work that way. In fact, let me explain it to you. Let's read Galatians chapter five. Now again, I've looked, I've looked online. I've looked everywhere. I've, I've obviously been through a lot of classes over the years and I've, been, I've had classes specifically on the fruits of the spirit, and. I've never found anybody that says this. And to me, this is so obvious. I don't know why anybody is not teaching this, writing about this, or doing any of this. But I believe this is what the Lord is trying to show us. And the reason that we do not get this done properly is because we're not seeing it properly. Okay? Um. First, in, um, in, the, in the few verses t- above, uh, verse 22, it's basically talking about the fruits of Satan. Have you ever put that together? These are the fruits of Satan, and then these are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, so let me read some of the fruits of Satan, all right? Um, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, self assembly Those are fruits of Satan, Right? Selfish nature is what it's called. Or do you get a selfish nature? You don't get it from God. There's only one other option. You, you can't say... This is one of the things the church has done for years. Well, it's the neutral ground. You got Satan, you got Jesus, and those are your attributes, a sinful nature. Your sinful nature can only come from Satan. There's God nature and there's sinful nature. There's not the in-between that we like to think there's a gray area called human nature. It doesn't exist. Okay? So... Here's the thing, those are the those are the fruits of Satan. Then we get to verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. And the way it says that but the Holy Spirit produces it lets you know that the list above is being produced by the opposite of the Holy Spirit, which is Satan's spirit. Okay. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. You guys understand the no law against these things that basically means if the law is down here, whatever the law is, um, you know, thou shalt not or whatever. Uh, if you're if you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you're somewhere up here, and the base of the law is not what you're worrying about every day. The base of the law is not. For example, I don't wake up every day and say, well, I hope I don't rob a bank today. Okay? When I uh, drive by a policeman, I don't get nervous. Now I may tap my brakes, but I don't get nervous or scared or something like that. And And let me explain that. To you because I have before. Years, years ago, I was 12 years old. 12 years old, I got arrested for stealing cigarettes. And uh, that was a good day in our life, wasn't it, Dad? Yes, it was. <laughs> and, uh, well, that just didn't chill up my spine. So, so here's the thing for years after that, I walked into a grocery store and uh, I was nervous. Walking into a department store, I was nervous. And it got to the point where I could tell you all the, the security people in there, you know, the undercover ones that walk around, act like they're shopping. Because I was so nervous, so scared, that's all I paid attention to. And it took me a long time to get free of that. Now I did that to myself. It's nobody's fault but mine. But, but I, I don't get scared of policemen. I, don't, I, I love policemen. I love to talk to them and hang out. And the other day, one was sitting on the side of the road, and I pulled up. He was sitting right at a red light. But he was kind of off to the side, so I pulled up and rode down my window. And I started talking to him. He looked at me. And I finally asked him, I said, how fast am I going right now? He said, let me look. Zero. <laughs> the, the cops are people, you know. They just hang out and talk with them. But some people get scared because why? They're guilty. They're guilty people. That's why. I, I, don't, I don't wake up every day and say, well, I hope I don't cheat on my wife today. Why? That's not where I am. That's not my relationship with her. I don't walk around worried about that, and she doesn't walk around worried about that with me because it's not where I am. That's the law. That's the law. I'm somewhere up here. I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying to be a better husband. I'm trying to do the things that God has told me to do. I'm not walking at the base of the law. That's what he means by there's no law against this. This is not in the law realm. This is in the serving Jesus realm. The Holy Spirit's in charge of you. In fact, King James says... Uh, if the Holy Spirit's in charge of you, these things will be evident. They will be. It's, a very, it's much stronger in the King James. Okay, now, here's the thing that, that, we, that we get confused about. And to take off of what Michael said a little bit, I, I do believe there is such a thing as self-control. One of the reasons I know it is because I read it right here. But I think the way we approach self-control in Western society is, is really messed up. Because we think we can isolate the idea of self-control, and I will be in in control. Okay? Pick anything on this list. I'll I'll use the easiest one to get to quickly is patience. I know people that, that work on, I need to be more patient. So they work on patience. The problem is it doesn't work if you work on patience. That's not how God's designed this. And, and we have so long, we see the fruits of the Spirit as different trees with fruit on it, and you look across the orchard, and you go, I need um, patience. Where is the patience? Tree? Oh, it's way over there. So you go over to the tree with patience, you pull that fruit off, and you start working on having patience. Except this is not what this is saying, and this is the part where I think and if we see this right, it will, it will make sense completely. See, when I tried to work on my anger, I tried to work on my anger and I, and I came up against a brick wall. and I would get frustrated and I literally would get more angry at me because I couldn't get in control of this. But remember what I said just a minute ago, the, the biggest thing that I have found over the years and unpacking this over decades is the biggest thing that the, whole, that the Holy Spirit began to do with me from day one is he began to teach me love. He began to teach me love how to be loved, and how to love. Those are two different things. How to be loved by God and by others, how to love God and love others. I didn't know how to do that. And he began to, to. and that's a spiritual thing. That's, that's not just a human thing. And this is where we get a little confused about this. And this is why sometimes I will pick on this, and it makes it sound like I'm, I'm being negative about something I shouldn't be negative about. But I think what happens is um, if, if you have a natural propensity, I'm saying your personality, your, your emotional, spiritual kind of makeup, has a natural propensity to love people, you're a more loving, caring kind of person. You understand what I'm saying? Different personalities are more caring, connecting, and those kind of things. If you're not careful, that will deceive you into thinking that you are biblically loving people. And that's not, those are not the same thing. Just because you uh, may emote better than the average person or you have a much more compassionate heart toward people doesn't mean that you're loving them biblically. In fact, I would argue, now this is my perspective from my point of view, okay? I would argue that people like that have a bigger difficulty biblically loving people than people like me. Because I don't struggle with loving people naturally. You say, struggle? Yes. I don't let that be a handicap to me. I don't naturally, I don't naturally um, care whether people like me or not the same way other people do. It's just, it's my personality. I'm not trying to say I'm a mean person. I'm just telling you how I am, okay? I don't struggle with loving people, so when I try to biblically love people, I don't have a lot of baggage in between that hinders me from loving them biblically. Because other people are struggling with that. And I watch it all the time. Somebody tell me what I mean by that. I can explain it if you don't understand. Yes, sir. That's that's not a bad example. I um, <clears throat> I think you have to be careful though when you assuming that you're that you're teaching love. It it can be taught and it can be seen and it can be learned. Okay, I'm not arguing against that, but at the core, if it's if it's godly love, it has to be a spiritual thing too. Okay. Okay, that's one side of that, and that's a legitimate side. The other side would be the feeling side of it, that when you feel love, naturally feel more love for people than, say, somebody sitting right next to you. You feel more love for people. Um, You can actually assuage your guilt or your responsibility. You can defer your responsibility to actually love them because you're more interested in how you feel about them or how they feel about you. Half of what he's talking about is how they feel about them. But the other side is what about when you feel strongly about others? You're just naturally that kind of personality. And there's all kinds of levels of this in here. What happens is is you will feel good about doing a nice little thing or you will feel good about just connecting or whatever when you're not necessarily biblically loving them. You're feeling love back and forth, but you're not... You're not actually doing what the Bible has said, but you'll feel okay with yourself forever. Jen? What's the most important thing to Jesus for you right now? What? I think that would be part of it. I wouldn't. Okay, let's say you're not a Christian. She's, she's right, but it's because she's a Christian. What if you're not a Christian? What's the most important thing for you in Jesus' heart and mind? That you know him as, as your Savior, that you submit to him as your Savior. So if we're going to love people biblically, what should be the most important thing for us? That they know Jesus as their Savior. That should be the most important thing. But what can happen is, is if you are, if you're a much more um, naturally compassionate and empathetic kind of person, you can walk with them through life, never lead them to Jesus, but you feel good about you. And I'm not picking on that, okay? I'm just saying somewhere that's not good enough. That's what I'm saying. I don't naturally have compassion on people. I have compassion on their, their soul. I care deeply about their soul. And that's, and that's, uh, that's over the years. I didn't used to. Um, but I care deeply about people's soul. I want them to know Jesus. I don't necessarily care how they feel about stuff. I know this makes me a horrible pastor. I know, but I don't. I don't walk around thinking to myself. In fact, I'll ask Linda questions regularly. Uh, if I say this, how does that make you feel? Or if I say that, what do you think people are going to think? Because in my opinion, the, the, the word says it. Let's just do that. And 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 there's that's so easy for me to say, and so nuanced in everybody's mind and hearts and lives and everything else. I said something a few months ago in, in here that I know was God put that in my heart, and I know it was one of those pastoral times. I don't want to repeat it because you'll start trying to figure out how it went and all this other stuff. But it was something that is it's a very strong pastoral thing that I'm supposed to say as a pastor teaching and leading people that have been out of line. And I said it in a service, and 99% of you had no idea. The three or four people that it bothered, one of them came and said, I think that was horrible that you said that. I think you were just throwing rotten eggs. You know what I said? I didn't say nothing. I didn't care that they thought that. I knew, I knew I was right about it. I knew that the Holy Spirit, I read it straight out of the Bible, too. That's, that's an easy one. And, and I didn't care that they said it. I said, okay. You know, they, they wanted to tussle. I said, okay. Because why? It's not my responsibility. Like it or lump it. You you deal with what the Holy Spirit's telling you. If I'm totally off, then I'm totally off. Don't worry about it. If I'm right, then deal with it. But it is not between you and I, and that's my stance. Now, that's not what people think, but that's how I look at it. So I don't struggle with whether people are happy or not happy with things on a regular basis. It's not my natural tendency. It's not how I process. Okay? In fact, I'm in a very difficult position in my life now that my children are adults, I am starting to really process this at deeper levels than I ever have in my life. How do I say something to one of my children who I really love, who maybe needs some correction, but I also really like them, and I actually care whether they like me? I've never been here before. I'm loving. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> um, but see, to me, that's baggage that can get in the way. That's baggage because what happens is you start worrying more about whether they like you or whether they like what you're saying over whether it's truth. Guys, that's dangerous for all of us. That is dangerous for every one of us. Most married couples have no ability or very little ability to be honestly truthful to each other. They just don't have it. They can be truthful about some things but not about big stuff. And if we went around the room, which we will not, we went around the room and began to ask, tell me something about your spouse that you know is off the table. You're not allowed to talk about it. Every one of us here would have those things. That's the danger zone. Because that means at the end of the day, we can't truly be truthful. Sometimes, sometimes there's a place where you just say, I'm not going to go there. Okay? And, and you may be wrong on some of those. But, guys, when they're just things that are off the table, that's a dangerous place. That's, a, that's, what, that's what puts division in relationships and specifically within marriages. It's what puts division. Now, here's the thing that I want to get to with this. What we do is we think that these fruits are independent of each other, and they're not. This is the part where somebody needs to write a book about it. Anytime I say that, somebody will say, well, it's yours, why don't you? I don't really want to. So here's the thing, is the fruits of the Spirit grow out of the fruit before it. You cannot have one of these fruits in isolation. It does not work, and if you don't get the things before it growing, you cannot grow that fruit, wherever it is on the list. Wherever you get to, you cannot grow that fruit unless the fruits before it have already grown and began to develop and being in a maturing, growing process. They have to exist before the the following fruit can exist. And this is the part where we just don't think about it. We think we can pull one of these fruits out in isolation. Patience. Well, let's look at the list, and let's really process this. What's the first fruit? Love. Let's go to um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. You cannot get more deep, Christian, than this is talking about. Speaking in tongues, gifts of prophecy, understood all, all of God's secrets and plans, possessed all knowledge. Paul is saying some pretty strong stuff here. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And I have watched my entire life, the church, seek those things, but not seek biblical love. Not just, not just love, but biblical love, the true concept of biblical love. This is, this is one of the reasons that Satan picks on so much. He picks on um, love, sexuality, uh, sanctity of life, and stuff like that. Because if he can erode the way we process love, he can win the game. If you start out with the wrong understanding of love, you're never going to you're, you're never get to the end of this. You're never going to understand the spiritual depth of love over prophecy and, and miracles and supernatural knowledge and wisdom. This is one of the reasons that I pick on the church has been teaching the same Bible stories over and over and over and over, which they're supposed to do. And we've been sitting in classes, sitting in Bible study, sitting in this stuff for year after year after year after year after year, year, and we never love a person enough to witness to them. Because we don't have biblical love, we have earthly love and we are more interested in knowledge than we are God's love. We're more interested in the prophecy than God's love, than gifts of the spirit than God's love, and we're and we're so consumed with that. I want to be an important preacher, teacher. I want to be a spiritual leader. I want to be all these things. Okay, tell somebody about Jesus because that's where love starts. Love starts there. Caring enough for God to do what He says to to the people that for the people He created. His heart, God's heart is lost people. It's not that we have knowledge. We can have knowledge all day long. He just said it. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. You're wasting your time, your energy, and you're wasting everybody else's time and energy. Loving God, loving others. Do we love people enough to care about the most important thing? And that is, are they going to make it to heaven? That's the most important. Not are they doing all the church stuff right. Not do they believe all the stuff right. Not they, but do they do they know Jesus as their Savior? That's the most important thing. And, and Satan has so confused us over the years. And I believe one of the ways he does, he attacks love. He attacks the understanding of love. He attacks what love even means. And so now, the church knows how to... Uh, um, um, address some of this spiritually, mentally, those kind of things. When we talk about the sexual revolution of the 60s and stuff like that, which, by the way, was just everything was out of the bag. Before that, everything was hidden. That's really the only difference that the 60s changed. Before that, you know, I, 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 I when Clinton was president, he was doing all that stuff with Lewinsky and everybody else that walked around. We all knew the guy was a pervert. We all knew that he was sexing up everybody he could find. But here's the thing: we put him into a different category. What was the difference between Clinton and Kennedy? Kennedy's the man. He's like the president of all presidents. He was having affairs. He had in and out, they built a tunnel from the White House out so that he could bring his girls in. And everybody knows this, but it was secret before the '60s. Sexual revolution just came out of the bag. Everybody, this stuff was happening. Everybody just knows about it. That's the only difference now, everybody knows about it. But, but here's the thing: is we've so twisted and perverted the idea of love that we've confused it with sexuality. We've confused we 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 confuse intimacy with um, with sexuality by itself. There's all kinds of layers and stuff to this that that God wants us to know how to be loved by him and how to love him and how to love other people and how to be loved by other people. But we've got so much baggage in the United States that we don't know how to get there. So according to this list, how do I get to love? How do I get to biblical love? How do I love God, love others? Be loved by both. How do I get there according to this scripture? I'm saying the Galatians scripture. Correct answer. We let the Holy Spirit do it. What Jeff said earlier is right. This is a spiritual thing. This is, this is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us. But this is where we have to tie everything else in we've been talking about. It doesn't just happen. You've got to go after it. You've got to go after the Lord. You've got to pursue him. And then the Holy Spirit gifts you with the first fruit, which is love. Now, here's the thing. Let's go to the next one. Joy. I'm not even in that scripture anymore. Oh, I did want to go to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. It says, these things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest, the greatest love is greater than faith. You understand how important that sentence is? Love is greater than faith. Faith in God, love is greater than faith in God. Now you say you have to define love properly for that to be true. If you say love according to the way the world defines love, that's not true. but Godly love, loving him and letting him love you that is that is more important than faith in God because your love for God will keep you when your understanding and your belief does not. And this is, this is a struggle for specifically Pentecostal charismatic Christians. We struggle with this. Your love for God will keep you. Long, long after your understanding and your ability to embrace what he said and do all the things and, and even understand what he said, you're, if you just love God with everything... You will get there. You will get the answers. But if you love knowledge more than you love God, you will eventually die in your knowledge. You will lose Jesus in the middle of your knowledge. Because it's love for him. Now here's the thing, is the next one is joy. You cannot have joy if you don't have love for God and God's love for you. You cannot have joy. You don't jump to joy if you are not truly in love with God. You cannot skip love. Love is the foundation of everything. Love is where everything begins and ends. So joy flows out of love. When you really love God, and this is the part where I, when I going back, when I began to try to fight, uh, struggle against or fight against this idea of anger in my life, I tried to do it on my own, and when I, when I stopped trying to work on that, and I just began to really let the Holy Spirit show me how to love God and, and be loved by him, it's amazing. I had no joy before that. Years and years I, ha- I had no joy. But when I really let the Holy Spirit crack my heart open and pour the love of Jesus in there, all of a sudden joy began to, to be birthed in my spirit. And for the first time, I, I understood on a core level what joy was. And that's grown. That's grown a lot over the years. But I didn't really understand it. And here's the saddest part is I didn't know I didn't have it. I literally didn't know I didn't have it. But if you try to get the joy before you get to love, in fact, um, it says the joy of something is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You've got to be loving him and him loving you for you to get to joy. This is a this is a relationship. This is where it starts. Joy starts with relationship with Jesus. You say, What about the average person out there in society that has joy? I would argue very strongly that if you don't let the love of Jesus be in charge of your life, they don't really have joy. And we can get to all of these very quickly with that. If you if you process, Mike, are you No, no, I think, I think um, truly loving Jesus and being loved by Him. I don't think it's an effort thing. I think the reason that the church re- resists it is because it, it it demands you, and it and you have to unpack you for that to happen. You. Sure, yeah, but I think the bigger issue is the fear. And, and there's, a, there's a selfishness and rebellion and stuff wrapped up in that. If you really surrender and let Jesus be in charge, yeah, it's, gonna, it's definitely going to take effort from you. There's no doubt about that. I don't think the average person is, is worried about that. I'm saying a non-safe person um, or a brand-new Christian. I think, I think they're more worried about what will happen if I truly let go. I'll, I'll ask this question easily. You'll understand what I'm saying. How many of you have ever in your life ever been scared that Jesus is going to call you to China or Africa or something like that? You know who you are. You're like, you're scared to raise your hand because he may call you to China when you raise your hand. You're like, yeah, he's did. oh, no, you know, that kind of thing. Because why? We assume that Jesus wants us to do the things that we don't want to do. Now, here's why we think that. Because really, a lot of the things that we want to do really, truly are getting in the way of what Jesus wants to do with us. And we know that, but we would rather walk in that than let Jesus be in charge. To really walk in forgiveness, we have to unpack us forgiving. That's a scary thing for some people. For us to walk in in the Lord really loving us, we have to really understand who we are when it comes to love, and that can be a scary thing. Specifically, depending on your past and what's been in your past and all that kind of stuff. Loving and being loved can be scary. Being forgiven can be scary. Letting the Holy Spirit really get in there and start messing with some of the stuff to try to bring you peace, but we're scared to death of what he's got to do to bring us peace, Why? Because Satan is a liar and he's convinced us that that's more scary and more harmful than letting the Holy Spirit be in charge. And and I know with what I speak. So love, joy, joy flows out of love, peace. Don't don't you see the natural pattern here? Peace flows. Now, Now, Philippians 4 tells us that peace is specifically something That the Holy Spirit gives us, but where does He give us peace? According to Philippians 4 7, where does peace go to in our life? Our hearts and our minds, the way we feel and the way we think. The way we think about what? Whatever's causing us lack of peace, you trail that long enough and it's going to be plugged into something that Satan is trying to manipulate you with. That's a guarantee. The reason we and our society does not have peace right now at all, none, zero. We are, we are so, that's why violence can happen so quickly. Not because there's evil in our heart, but because we don't have peace. There's already turmoil. It doesn't take anything to tur- turn that into violence because there's so much unrest and so much dissatisfaction and so much confusion and, and, and all the turmoil, all the stuff, that there's no peace. So we say, well, I want peace. How do I get peace? You get peace in your heart and in your mind because you know that Jesus loves you and that you love him. Romans 8, 16. The Holy Spirit bears witness with me, my spirit, that I'm a child of the king. It's your knowledge. Remember 2 Corinthians 10. It's your knowledge of God that Satan is going to try to attack. That's why you bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. He's going to try to attack your brain and the way you feel, the way you think and the way you feel. Well, where Where? does that? Where, how do you combat that? Well, if you truly got the joy of the Lord as your strength because you are in love with him and you know he's your savior, he's your God, and you belong to him, then that joy is going to flow out of that, and you will have peace because your joy is not in anything of, the, of your life, but your joy is in your relationship with the Lord. Your joy comes from... Jesus Christ and relationship with him not knowledge of him alone but the fact that that is relationship Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I belong to him not that I know about him but that I belong to him okay so from that joy that's where your peace is the reason that you can have peace in the middle of everything that is chaotic and and every one of us here we've experienced different levels of that at different times sometimes as linda said sometimes you're better um, than you are at other times, okay? The reason that we can have peace sometimes so strongly is not because we're not worried about the circumstances around us. It's because we're more connected with our relationship with Jesus than we are the things around us. This, this is the part of the deal, and I know this is a, this is a demarcation when I say there's a strong line in the sand. But the reason that people get so confused and frustrated, Christians get so confused and frustrated with all this COVID and everything else, is because they are not solidly planted in their relationship with Jesus. And, guys, I don't know how to, I know that's a very divisive way to say that, but that's scriptural truth. If you know that you know your, your relationship with Jesus, you know that's your foundation, that's everything and your joy flows from that, and your peace is in that, and there's nothing that can disrupt that peace. Because it, all the other stuff is, is secondary. It's not even secondary. It's way down the line. I'm not concerned about all this stuff, partly because I'm also listening to the Holy Spirit, and I believe he's been telling me truth through all this stuff, and I'm paying attention to that too. I would be worried if this was a real pandemic. I would, but it's not. It never has been from the beginning. My peace Flows out of my relationship with Jesus. So what is the natural next one? Patience. Where does patience come from? Peace in my spirit. Why? Parents, it's easier for you to go here quickly. When you're in turmoil and and there's not a lot of peace in your spirit, you've been at work and there's something going on at work and doing all this kind of stuff, and you walk in the house, you are more likely to jump on the kids when there's not peace in your spirit than when there is. Because why? Your patience is already thin because it has to come from your peace in the Lord. Your peace guarantees your patience. The reason you can lose your patience is because you don't have peace in your spirit. And we know this. this, this I, I can give you many examples from my childhood, um, my children's childhood. In fact, my... Okay, yeah, Okay. Um, my oldest son just mentioned, this he said, Hey dad, remember when this happened the other day, this happened, he mentioned him the other day and it was an issue with Isaac. And, and he was saying it from the point of view as Isaac is a goofball and he did all this stuff. He shouldn't have And Then you got mad. And, and when he said it, I told him, I said, but I was out of line of how mad I got. That's not why he was saying the story. And I said, but Jonathan, I was totally out of line with how mad I got. Why did I get that mad? Because I, I I have struggled at different times in my life with just being secure in my relationship with Jesus. And that's where peace is going to come from. And without that, I will not be patient. I will be anxious and I will be quick to respond. That's the opposite of what patience is. Okay? Next one. Kindness. When you are patient, I'll use children again, when you are patient with your children you will be more kind to them, will you not? When your patience is wearing thin is when you're not as kind to them. Right or wrong? Right? Okay. Goodness. You will do good things for people when kindness is ruling. And how is kindness ruling? Because you're patient with them. You, You can see how this flows. And then faithfulness... You'll be faithful because you are... Give, let's, get, let's go to marriage. You'll be more faithful in your marriage when you are doing good things in your marriage because you are patient with your spouse because you have peace in your own spirit, not because of the relationship or how well they are treating you or anything, but, but when you work down through this, faithfulness becomes very natural because you're already doing good things. Here's a, here's a little way to look at that. When you see somebody that is never doing good things for their spouse there's a chance they're not being faithful to them either. Doesn't that go hand in hand? I saw a TV show years ago, or maybe it was a movie. I don't remember. I just remember this one little scene. This guy was cheating on his wife, and um, and she gave him a gift. I think it was a watch or something. They're, they're laying in bed, and she said, oh, I got you something. He said, it's not our anniversary or anything. She said, no, I just got you something. And he opened a, I think it was a watch. And he opens the gold watch and goes, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. And he just set it over the table and then went back to reading his book. And she knew immediately he was cheating on her. The, con- the, the connection between giving and goodness, giving to each other, those kind of things, and goodness being handed to each other, and then the response of that, faithfulness naturally flows out of that. You following that? trend? Okay. All right, gentleness. When you are faithful, we can go back to marriage and use it in any circumstance. When you are faithful, you'll be gentle. When there's not gentleness, somewhere the faithfulness is probably messed up. You're not truly faithful to that person. This this could be a lot of, of things. You could go in a lot of different directions, but But the gentleness flows out of that. When you're faithful to somebody, you're committed to that person, you'll be gentle with them. Emotionally, mentally, you'll be gentle with them. Because you're truly committed to them. That's the concept of faithful. You're committed to them. So why would you harm something that you're truly committed to? All right? And then the last one, self-control. Self-control is a natural progression of all these other fruits. And if we try to put self-control either by itself or somewhere in the middle, it doesn't work. You cannot. And we we work so much on self-control. And think about this also. This list starts with completely relational um, introspection, personal, spiritual relationship with Jesus. By the time you get to the end, it is completely about how you're interacting with other people. And you can see that as a grade as you go through this list. gets more and more about people. We try to start on the people side instead of the God side. And that's why we're messing up. You can't just pull one of these out and you do it individually. You can't start on the people side. You can't start in the middle and work one direction. You have to start with love and let the love of the Lord develop each one of these as the next one develops as the next one develops. They don't exist separately. You, you, for example, you can't have goodness before you have kindness. It's just It's an impossibility. Goodness is going to come from somebody that's not being kind? You see what I'm saying? Well, I, I'm, this, this is, and guys, we do this as Christians all the time. Um, we say things, and I've said this hundreds of times. Well, I love them, but I don't like them. I totally understand that. That's a, that's a real thing. You can do that. But if you love them, you're going to treat them Right? Doesn't matter whether you like what they're doing or anything, because by the time you get down to things like goodness, you're going to be treating that person good. Because why? The kindness of the Lord has taken over your heart, and you have to treat them good, regardless of who they are, because you are a kind person. Right? Okay. Any questions about that? I want to. I want to end. Yes, ma'am, sir. Yes, because I think it's, um, I think, I think it's, uh, this, this is a weird, I I feel like I'm adding to scripture by saying this, but it's like one long fruit that bubbles to the next one that bubbles to the next one that bubbles to the next one. Um, And if you go back to, uh, to, to uh, the the end of it, let's see. Well, we'll just take the beginning where you said that Um, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. That is singular, always has been singular. We say fruits of the Spirit. That is, that is English transliteration. That is not, the, the original Greek is a singular word. Fruit, one fruit. Flows to the next, to the next, to the next. In fact, years ago, that's what kind of opened my eyes to it. Why does it call it fruit singular instead of fruits, right? So how do we get self-control? Come back to the original question. We start by falling in love with Jesus with everything about us, letting him love us, and loving others as we love ourselves. We love. Work on loving Christ, loving people. Loving Christ, loving people. Work on that with everything. And and, and this stuff will start naturally happening. You don't have to pray for patience. Patience. It will happen. It will flow out. Roy, do you have a question? Yeah, letting the Holy Spirit, I'm going to say some of that again because I've been told I don't, people on the camera have no clue what people in here are saying. Um, Letting the Holy Spirit convict us and then deal with it right then. Do it. Now, guys, we know that's not always what we do. Sometimes we deal with it, sometimes we don't. But your responsibility is, now this is why I think coming back to the relationship, if you have a, a very solid relationship with Jesus, this isn't a Christianity, a form of religion or anything, it's just relationship, then you're going to be more apt to hear the Holy Spirit, understand what he's saying, and you'll be more apt to be obedient. Because you care. You don't want the Holy Spirit to be disappointed in you at that moment. I, had somebody, I said something like that years ago, and somebody said, Holy Spirit's never disappointed in you. He's disappointed in me all the time. If he's not disappointed in you ever, we need to hang you on the cross because you can be a forgiveness for our sins. Holy Spirit gets very disappointed. It says it all through Scripture. Okay, But I don't want him to be because why? Because I'm a Christian? Because I love him. I don't want relationship. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we want that more than anything else. I want your presence. Lord, I want... To love you and to be loved by you completely. Lord, teach me how to love you. Teach me how to stop loving myself more than I love you. To stop loving the things of the world more than I love you. Lord, I believe when we we just surrender our existence completely to you, that your love will rule. Your love will reign in our hearts. God, we'll get the stuff right. We will get the rest of the stuff right if we will just love you and be loved by you. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, convict us. Draw us in close. Show us what needs to be different. Show us how to change. Help us help us to be people of your word and help these, this, this fruit to, to really grow in, in our lives and grow into all areas of our existence. Lord, I want to be a person of self-control. I really do. God, I want that to be the way you designed it, and not and not me just trying real hard. God, you be in charge. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, don't forget to sign up for the feasts teaching starting next Tuesday night. I'll mention it again Sunday. We will see you then.